0: Whether it's to build team skills, personal fitness or resilience, most parents dream of having their children play a sport one day. For some children, it's a walk in the park, but for others, it's a journey. Today, to help some parents start or navigate this journey, I've invited the Jason Ackermanis to be on the show. Jason, thank you so much for your time.
1: No worries, Michael. Yes, it is. uh, Sometimes it's a dream for many parents. uh, It could be a simple nightmare. I mean, you see, unfortunately, in the good and the bad, you see parents who, of course, were great athletes and didn't quite make it, or you see ones that just, you know, see a little bit of talent in their kids and would love them to be professional sportsmen. There's always something wrapped up in there. There's very few parents that I think are are not – somehow invested in that whole process there's very little of oh I don't really care if he does it or not but yeah there's no doubt that there's a there's two components to all of that
0: Yep, because I mean for yourself I mean I'll be honest as a kid I never followed AFL I didn't follow much sport but I just knew you as the blonde guy on tv that was always kicking goals (laughs) and literally like I think to a lot of people I mean most people do know you but those that don't well, as soon as they see you, they'll recognize you instantly. And I mean, you're Queensland's second line medalist in 2001. Um, you're a key member of the Brisbane Lions triple premier, premiership sides for 2001, 2002, 2003. Um, you retired
1: in 2008, but- 2010. I mean, 2010. Yeah, I mean, don't, you know? don't rob me of two years. It was yeah. a long two years too. <laughs> Let me tell you- yeah. Done. I think. Uh, Where did I get two thousand eight from? I Must have read it from Uncle somewhere. Google. Oh, I was leading goalkeeper in two thousand and nine, and then I don't know. Maybe, uh, maybe Uncle Google's let you down. Yeah. Still, how
0: long? How long is that? How many decades?
1: Well, that in years it's sixteen years. Uh, so that's. I mean, two thousand ten. That's eleven years ago. I think. Uh, yeah, three hundred and twenty-five games. That should be. So Wikipedia yeah, well. might have let you down there. I don't know. Yeah, Someone's- I think so. Honestly. Someone's uh, see because Wikipedia, other people can edit it, so they could be wrong. You know. Yeah, that's
0: true. Unless the article was from two thousand and eight. Oh, possibly, possibly. But um, but saying that, I mean, sixteen years in professional uh, on the professional field, but before that, uh, how many years would you say? I mean, at what age did you start playing AFL?
1: Well, I started Aussie Rules when I was uh, about seven, I reckon. Uh, I think I started kicking the footy pretty young, so I was always around the footy club. I was very lucky. Where I was born at a place called Mundura. my mum was from Brisbane, but when we were down there, she I think uh, she was going out with one of the players at the time anyway, so I inadvertently would always be down watching the seniors play because I think my mum's boyfriend was playing at one stage there. So it sort of transitioned from just kind of watching and, and just seeing my, I suppose, the other local heroes back then and then playing probably a good, what was it, seven, eight, nine. It's so probably a good two or three years in Mildura before – in under-11s, mind you, because we didn't really have an, an age group that was younger than that. So I had to always play up against bigger kids, which was good. You know, you, you learn how to get rid of the ball and not get hurt. So when we came back to Brisbane, that would have been sort of uh, 85, 86. So I would have been sort of eight or nine. And once I came back here, we happened to move around the corner, which is a bit of the universe is good luck. But mum had been brought up on the south side of Brisbane, but then she moved to the north side of Brisbane to a place called Albion, and around the corner from Albion was the most powerful club at that stage, and the biggest club, in many respects, the main footy club. So I ended up starting there as a nine-year-old and under tens. I think I might have been turning ten. So yeah, so it was that was my. I was already playing Aussie rules footy, but to come to Queensland and play, uh, and I didn't know about rugby league or rugby union. So for me, it was like oh. Yeah, plus, they were big kids who used to tackle and hurt you, and I was like, these guys are too big for me, and I really didn't want to get hurt, so I stuffed these guys. I'll just go and play the game I know and I was already pretty good anyway. So that's how that that little bit of transfer from one state to the other inadvertently had a little bit of benefit it would seem later on because I ended up becoming a professional in that sport.
0: Yeah. And, and at what age did you work that out? But at what age did your mum work out or did you work out, okay, this is something that I want to pursue, I want to take it to the next level?
1: Well, my mum – would tell you when she was alive that I was way too active. So, you know, when I was a young kid, I obviously had ADHD, so I was all over the shop, you know, had so much energy and, you know, always trying to – because ADHD really for the brain is pretty simple. We don't make enough dopamine. It's quite common for elite athletes. It's like triple – the the percentage of the normal population which sits around six is probably around 17 18 percent of all professional athletes diagnosed undiagnosed probably a little higher when you think about it but you know some of the, some of the biggest sports people on the planet you name your hero he's probably got it and the reason we're so active is because we can't because we can't make dopamine uh, or it doesn't get created and and calms our brains down we need we always are looking for it so sport of course, is the most natural therapy for all those brains. So at probably five, my mum was told, look, Mr. Zagamanis, get him in. He's already in athletics. He's going well. Uh, He'll burn up energy doing that, but I think he should be in a team sport because he, he will excel with that energy because there's a lot more to do. So take him down to Aussie rules. As far as my mum saying, well, maybe you should do it as a career. Well, I think at 14, I was working at that stage at a job Around the corner, and she was very much of the belief at that stage. So, we're probably talking, you know, early 90s because it wasn't a professional sport. You played it, but you had a job and you went down, and you played on weekends. You got paid good money if you're one of the best, but you know, not huge back then. It was still good money, but of course, not very serviceable long term. So, my mum was pretty keen for me not to go down that road and, and put all my eggs in that basket. But of course, uh, a few years later, well, I nearly died a few years after that at 15 with a bad head injury from rollerblading, which is not much fun, but I had that year off. So I think I think when I came back at 16 uh, and played with a helmet, but I started to play in the senior. So before I turned 17, I started to play against men. And that year, I'd already been on the the Bears' radar in the AFL. they were now the Lions. But back then, the Bears, they had local selection. So, you know, for me and Michael Voss and Clark Keating and, you know, Brent Green, all really good local kids back then you could get us before we went to the draft. So say Leo Barry is a famous Swans player. He was, I played against him in the under-70s carnival. So the Swans picked him up, even though he's from Riverina, but he's in the New South Wales catchment at that stage. So they still do a little bit of that with the academy picks, but that was the way it was then. And even in year 12, I'm playing round four in 1995. Like I'm at a famous rugby union school and they didn't play any Aussie rules. So – I didn't have any of my school buddies even know that I was probably playing except for a couple because they were Aussie rules guys that hadn't played in my team. Most of the time, they were uh, trying to get me to play rugby union. Uh, Elton Flatley who was a famous wallaby who was in my classes, you know, and him and I were in the same 100-meter, you know, four-by-100-meter t- uh, team for the GPS, so nudge So it's, it was sort of – I even think at 18, 19, as I went out of school, even though it was, I was still playing – 17 games in school, uh, but you know, never, never knew until probably '99. So we're talking four years after that. It kind of really started to go professional. In fact, I personally said, "That's it. I'm gonna concentrate on this. I'm not gonna work any other jobs. I'm gonna go get physio and just dedicate myself." And that that wasn't quite the, the full transition, but it'll give you a picture of just sort of how it progressed. It wasn't an absolute lock-in, but my mum, you know, she was alive at that stage, probably saw, she saw 95, 96 and half of 97 anyway. So she was probably hopeful, but, you know, I, I knew I could make it. I was pretty pretty uh, confident I'd play 200 games. So, yeah, it was just a bit of a journey as opposed to an actual hard and fast. Look, you know, this is what you're going to do. You're, you know, very few are set for life in some ways. Yeah. And you do a lot of coaching and
0: you you've seen – people get into the game and do well and those that get into the game and obviously just maybe they commit for a year and suddenly they disappear. Like as a parent from the position of a parent, for example, let's say the child isn't in any sport at all. Like the traditional thought process was, okay, the girl does ballet, the boy does soccer or the girl does netball and the boy does footy or something like that. But we all know it doesn't work that way. Um, as a parent, where's sort of the best place to start? Because normally if you ask a kid, what sport do you want to do? They probably have no idea. And I mean, to me, our the way we did it is we just exposed our kids to different sports and of what do you like? You know, what, what what sort of appeals to you? What do you, what do you think is fun? Because as a kid, you normally want to go where your friends go or you want to do something that you enjoy. Right. Um,
1: yes. What yes, have exactly.
0: you seen sort of works
1: in those cases? Because you can't really force a child to do anything, especially a sport. Yeah, I think uh, what you said before though, mostly you see kids, their friends are in whatever sport it is and so they naturally want to hang with their friends. So, you know, I've got three daughters, the eldest one was pretty resistant to playing Aussie rules, eventually her friends started playing, she, then she started getting in it and then COVID hit, so she probably missed two important years last year and this year. Uh, she She's good enough to be in the Brisbane Lions Academy squad, for example, but she won't she won't go on because she's probably just, look, it's not for her. She's good, but not good enough in her mind. That's okay. It's all cool. But I think you you look at Sienna, the middle one, who's 13, she plays golf because her dad loves golf and she's a really good golfer and her body is probably more set up. She's much skinnier than the eldest daughter and the youngest daughter, far, far more stock, far more my side of the family, which are very fast and powerful and just thicker set. So they're going to enjoy collision sports. So, you know, you look at your kid, and, and and part of you goes, "Look, son, I really don't think you should be playing uh, rugby league because you're just getting beaten up, and you're going to get beaten up." Look at your mum and dad. You know that you, you know, unless you've got outstanding sort of speed and skill, even that changes probably where you would naturally coerce your kid. So you've got the important part though. What with what you said is probably, yeah, there's an enjoyment factor. I mean, I think I retired four years full time. Sorry, over. Well, two years before I even got into the the AFL, so it's they're hard sports, demanding sports. But you know things like nippers and flags, and you know stuff easy stuff where everyone likes going to the beach. The parents like going to the beach, netball. You know all of a sudden there's you're in a team environment. I, look, there are there are some kids who are born, and I'm probably in that category at some stage that has written on their cot. You know, does not play well with others, and you know those guys are. Aggressive, want to win, you know, win at all costs. And, you know, it's hard for them to lose, get rejected, etc. But it's okay. It's all part of the learning process. So Sienna, we've got her into water polo because a friend's play. She's pretty good too, like for a, a, a sort of slightly build kid who's really growing, who's going to be the tallest out of the girls. But yet golf for her, while it's an individual pursuit, she's far more I suppose, competent, and she should be playing, say, something like that. She'll miss out on the team aspect, but it's okay because it really is a journey itself anyway. So my advice is always, look, put him into what they love first. Absolutely, no worries. I mean, even Roger Federer only took up tennis very late, but he was playing every other sport, soccer, badminton, like you name it. You wouldn't believe the amount of sport and the hours he had, and they ended up becoming vital for him to become such a good tennis player he wasn't playing at four, five, six, seven, eight. You know, pretty much up to he was nearly sixteen. So here he is, one of the greats. But because he was doing so many different sports, they all sort of eventually you specialise later. And all the data is is pretty much the same. Go and do as much as you can, and then later, if you really love something, specialise then. And that's really, you know, because you got the big drop off, Michael. You got the I turned eighteen or seventeen. I can now drink. I can drive. Uh, not, not, uh, not together, of course. I could chase the opposite sex. You know, there's so many more di- distractions. So the drop off is always around that 16, 17, 18. Of course, you've got pressures on, do I have a career, go to uni or do I go into sports? So they're, they're the reasons. But of course, if you can hang in there, persevere, then, you know,
0: you can make it. Yeah, And I think it's important to, especially if someone's listening to this and their kid's not in any sport at all, and they haven't even considered it. I think it's good to sort of highlight the benefits of it because, I mean, there's teams, team building skills. Um, I mentioned earlier, like personal fitness is an obvious one, but even resilience, like mental resilience. I'm guessing oh, yeah. that's a massive part of it.
1: Oh, well, just go and play golf. You want, you want to learn about, you want to see what people are really like. You want to... You can ask them all the questions in the world. You go play tennis, we go play golf, and you see what they have to put up with. Because it's it's generally on them. Probably more golf than tennis, because you've got someone else over the other side working against you. But you know, you'll learn real quick uh, what a person's like. Uh, he puts himself under pressure, puts his ball in a crap spot, can't get out, or he's in a bunker, or he's got a putt for a, a birdie or a you know a, a point. It could be anything. So you, you do see the best and worst in that game, I suppose. And that's yeah, I you know i always say the beauty about well, golf taught me more about not getting so caught up on the result even though i know that through footy about you know not looking at the scoreboard despite there being scoreboard pressure despite being you know that the ultimate as far as win or loss is one the way you do it and of course the scoreboard reflects that generally so you know and in aussie rules footy unlike golf see there's so many more things that are out of your control in a team sport So you actually – I have way more empathy when I play, you know, Aussie rules and basketball because other guys let you down. Last night I was playing basketball, some really good players. Man, they gave me a couple of really bad passes and, you know, we couldn't do anything with it. Now, that happens. And instead of – unlike golf where you'll just bloody berate yourself and give, give yourself grief for the next 10 minutes, team sport just gives you that little bit of understanding that, it's like you know, life. There's so much more that's out of your control versus what is. And when you do those things well, just how great life really is. And and you could just only do your small little part in the team. And then when you go into other careers, which you always will, because you can't play sport forever. Even golf, you have to stop eventually. Then you go into an office or a workplace, you'll see how good cultures and bad cultures actually mix. Because sport will teach you the good and the bad. And I've been in crap teams who came last in the AFL, and also been in. Triple, nearly quadruple premiership teams. So I, I can see the difference straight up, and you, you just know what it's like to be around a better group. What does that mean? Do they work harder? Not necessarily, but it's the way they go about the other things, the little things that you don't quite see, and how how thorough or fastidious they are, and how they sort of they get the detail right, and then they can look at the bigger picture along the way. It's it's really it's all in sport as well. That's why so much so many business you know companies I talk with. You know, I'm talking about sport and they want me to talk about sport because they're so interchangeable.
0: But it's a hard one, isn't it? Because, I mean, there's that saying, it's not about winning, it's how you play the game. But, I mean, it's also about winning. Otherwise, there'd be no scoreboard. You oh, know, so. Right. I mean, this
1: generation, <laughs> Fed income, you get a bloody ribbon? I mean, that yep. teaches them nothing. I mean, it, yep. you know, we all get rejected. We yep. all have to learn to lose. Not well. I'm not a great loser. But, you know, you can still lose and it still hurts. But, you know, you shake the hand and be sportsmanlike or you yep. can get beaten to a gong or, a you know, a prize you really wanted to win. But that's all part of it. And I suppose if, if you can't get used to the, the losses, you'll never understand the, the euphoria and the delayed gratification of winning anything or doing well at stuff. That's so true. And you mentioned something before, and I, I really want to get
0: your take on it as a professional you know, 40 player, um, you mentioned not to look at the scoreboard. And I think this sort of applies even in life, looking at your own achievements or, you know, even if someone works in sales or if somebody has a business and they're looking at their profit and all the rest of it. Um, was that a rule not to look at the scoreboard or only to look at certain times
1: or, I mean, what did the coaches tell you or what did, what did the best do? Well, I I think uh, it's a fallacy because you spend your whole time looking at the scoreboard. You know, how many minutes left? How long have we been going? What's the score? Where's the state of play? It's giving you an instant snapshot. So in some ways, you're more telling them not to get worried about the result. It's more the process, and I think that's what the coaches are generally trying to say. Yeah, we're six goals up, but, you know, we're not really playing that well and we're not doing the things that are going to make. We should be 15 goals up or we're 10 goals down and it's not that bad. We're just missing a few things here and there. So. You're always, in some ways, have your scoreboard for yourself, but I think, I think as you get older, there's a couple of things that stand out. Is that it's the comparing yourself to others where the danger is, no doubt, because you know we, that's where you get jealous. And you know, oh, this guy is making so much money; he's in real estate, like myself. They're at a, you know Ray wide, or they're somewhere out. You know, they're working for another franchise, and they're beating you, or they're, they're selling more, or they've got some swish marketing, and they've been just around the block a bit more but that's okay because you know that you know it's good to know where you're at and where you want to be so having a scoreboard in life is never a bad thing we always talk about you know enough you know do you have wins enough like you've do you need any more and it's i always say it's and it's not about having more it's more about the purpose of doing things better so you, you yeah you can get more money and all that kind of stuff but it's the choices and the time that is the benefit because then you have more choices to do you have more time that you can you know, do whatever you want basically if you've got more capital behind you or whatever. So, you know, there's a reason to have those purposes. So always saying that, you know, oh, son, you know, I love you the way you are, don't change. Well, that's that's just silly because, of course, he's always, he's got a purpose to be better at something. Humans always want to master stuff. They always want to be autonomous, you know, and they they just always going to be like that. That's why people do guitars when they've never had any, inkling to be good at anything in music because they need to master stuff. So when you master a a skill or, you know, at work, it gets pretty tedious and boring after that. And then you go, well, what am I going to do now? I'll go and do something else. And there's no difference as you're getting older and better and more proficient at stuff. And so for parents who have the empathy with their kids to say, don't worry, you're going to improve, you're going to get bigger, you're going to get stronger, you know, it's that's all part of the whole process. It's not so much about the end, you know, because – if that journey, if you're looking back at 90 years of age and going, Well, look at all the things I did. You'll always say the ones that uh, you know you have a few regrets, maybe, but if you did a lot of things, you'd be far happier, no doubt, and you'd have more experience and more relatability and more conversation with anyone you wanted from 90 all the way down to a little kid. These podcasts have been brought
0: to you by Better Financial Planning Australia. To book a free 15 minute phone chat, visit betterfinancialplanning.com.au. Will said and even from the point of view of i mean like what you mentioned you've been in some really good teams you know um and you've been in some teams that weren't as good i mean and this also relates to even someone putting their children through sport um how do you sort of get over the the loss mentally you know how, you know from how do you avoid getting discouraged from something um, yeah and we all do it differently, but I guess what's your way? What's what's your thing? Like, if you've come out of a game that you've been training for, you've been looking forward to, you probably thought you were going to win, and you didn't win.
1: Mm, yeah, that's a great question. I mean, psychologically, there's a few things that always happen. You know that that feeling of uh, disappointment that you've got to, that everyone has. If you are happy with a loss bloody hell, why would you be even remotely wanting to go out there compete? Because we're not really wanting to go out there, compete and get flogged, would we? we? We would want to go and compete and whatever we do and have a result that's going to make us feel better. That's why we do it, you know, because we feel better. We have these great little things in our brains that give us endorphins and we go, oh, man, I love that. I want to do that again. That's the beauty of exercise in any shape or form. You know, that's why, uh, you know, every doctor on the planet will tell you, yeah, mate, if you're not exercising or doing something, then, you can't have these great natural things that have no side effects. I mean, you have to be stupid not to be doing some type of exercise, whether you hate it or enjoy it. But it's it's always good for you. So losing in bad teams, you, you generally get this uh, losing's a habit, and so is winning. And when you're young, i played in teams most of my junior careers who weren't really the best team. In fact, they weren't the best team. I never really won any junior premierships. I think I won one. You know, so that's a big stretch of years. Yet, uh, how good was it when I went and played in the state teams where you're surrounded by all the best kids in the state and all of a sudden playing in better teams, it's it's safer, you know, it's more fun because you've got guys who can do your skills most of the time where in your local club, you know, you've got these guys who – Mum just keeps bringing them down there, or Dad, and just says, "You got to go play. You know, let the team down if you don't. You don't want to be there, or are just so poorly skilled, they actually make the whole process pretty dangerous. So I think because uh, they kick it on your head, or they you know they kick it past you, or the handball to your feet. Like there's so much that can go wrong with with average talent. So. I think there's – and then as a parent, you're like, well, let's get you in a better team. You get in a better team, you don't get as much of the ball or you don't have this bigger role and then your ego gets hurt. So there's, there's all these factors. But for me, the process is always the same. You feel like crap, you go home, you're staring at the, the ceiling or you're watching TV trying to take your mind off it. But, of course, you're all thinking about probably the things you did wrong or you made that error. Jeez, I've got to work on my handballs. I missed that tackle or that goal would have won us the game and I missed it straight in front. So all week for the next week, you're working on those little things that you knew you just need to be a tad better at now the the public wouldn't know any of that. But at that level, it's all those little things that you that only a player or a team within, you know, the, the, the team sort of culture or the club would know what you need to fix. So you're always working on them. So there's a scoreboard every week, unlike the poor people that have to get to, you know, uh, work ev- evaluations once a quarter, once a year, if they're lucky. We get it every week, nearly every session. So it's good and bad. You always got something to work on, but you're always in the process. Even when you're winning, man, you're still not at, you know, you st- there's always something in Aussie Rules footy, for example, that you, you can be better at. And that's the beauty about that game. Where in golf, it's always about, you know, can I be consistent, swing, et cetera, you know, there's so much more complexity in what you're trying to do. But still, you're always working on something.
0: Yeah, and, and I think that's something that parents can learn from or anyone can learn from, but also it's good to know these things to sort of teach our kids or when our kids come home and they've lost a game and they're feeling down, just sort of to know what to say to them as well because like anyone really, but especially as a parent, if your kid's upset at something, sometimes you don't know what to say, you want to say the right thing. Um, you know, I mean, something else I want to really talk to you about as well is being an outstanding sports person. What I mean by that is... And this is anything, whether someone's in sales or whether they're um, selling, whether they work at a bakery um, or they're a sports person, there's a big difference between being a good, being good at what you do and being outstanding. And to me, my, I guess my, um, my experience in this is 15 years ago, I used to work in sales and I was probably one of the best salespeople for a period of time and, or one of the best anyway. And the thing for me is I wasn't the best salesperson. I couldn't sell the best out of anyone, but I was probably one of the most consistent in that if I had a big win or two, I wouldn't give up. Whereas I found a lot of other people would sort of, that have a win or a good day or a good week, and that sort of take the foot off the pedal for the next month or two. And And in your situation, I'm guessing you could probably relate to that because I'm assuming, you know, having a good year or a good two or three years, it you are tempted to sort of take your foot off the pedal and be like yep i've made it i've achieved what i want to do and i'm guessing it takes this extra bit of energy or this something mentally to sort of want you to keep doing better or to keep
1: succeeding or keep kicking goals or to keep winning or or something Hmm. yeah well you're talking about probably a broader spectrum of where you're at at the time like when you're 18 you know you're going to get bigger and stronger so you're always working and and you know at some stage you can't get any bigger uh, because it'll become a detriment. Uh, You you might not be able to get any faster. You could get a bit fitter Uh, but what you're always looking for is this, uh, we talk about the inconsistencies of youth versus the really high level, you know, whether it's sales or sportsmen. Sportsmen's best and worst games uh, are very, you know, smallly separated. They're not they're not big highs and big lows like they are when you're young. You know, one week you're kicking five goals, next week you're tagged out of it. I'd played in games where I'd had two touches for the game in my first year, two goals thankfully, but you know, this did something and didn't do enough on defence. Did you know? There's lots of things I could have done better, but you know, years later, you'd never have a game like that because on the bad day, you were still getting say 15 touches of the ball, but you're making eight tackles you're making four shepherds you're tapping the ball on you're talking to your teammates you're doing so much more so i think the difference between good and very good is is that the time for rest and celebration are much smaller you you know you win when you when you're winning all the time you know early on you're bloody you like you're on a bloody bender You you're out for days you think it's great you're on a you're on a high, and the next week you come out and get completely whooped. And eventually you learn to be so consistent that while you're winning, you go back to the drawing board on Monday and say, Look, this is what we did well. The opposition were doing this, this opposition this week. Let's look forward. What are we going to do now? So it's it's always about that process. So, and I've been guilty of it you know, you have a great week or you sell lots of stuff, you know, you start drinking your own bathwater, fed income, but you know, the best are always, you know, they have two drinks instead of 10. They're back on the job as soon as they can. They're back on to what works, whatever that is, whether it's their, you know, bringing their, you know, buyers, vendors, or, or sellers, whatever it is. Their network, they're, they're talking to their staff. So this, there are big differences between I find the very best and the nearly so. And I always find it's just that consistency of effort and the good and the bad. So their habits are so smallly different that only only they would know the difference between an amazing game and uh, I was all right, and everyone thinks, hey, man, you you played great. You're the best player on the ground." He says, yeah, yeah, that was average, and there's not much difference in that. But they know, and that's that's really the separator. It's as Confucius said. He said it 500 years ago. You know, it's it's habits that sets people, men apart. It's it's not this mysterious thing called talent and form and all that. That does help if you've got great talent, but this that's no. There's lots of guys with great talent. And, and speaking of habit, you. Uh, again, we've got three kids, eight, Elias is
0: eight, Maria's five, Joseph's three. So they're young and I'm about to sort of go through what you've gone through with your children. Um, Elias is just starting to play basketball. He loves it. Maria, she's more creative. Joseph, we should have given him a footy the second he was born because his. I think is born to be a footy player of some sort, that or a wrestler. (laughs) Uh, And there's the three-year-old. It sounds like Um, my three-year-old. Oh, my God. But but the thing is, like, it's for us as parents, the hardest – parents are busy – anyone is busy enough these days, especially parents. And I wanted to ask you, how do you – from a time management point of view, how how do you manage all this stuff as well? Because when kids get into sports, there's normally there's training at least one or two nights a week, and then there's normally a game on the weekend. And then there's extra things, and obviously, you can't forget about their education. Um, what tips would you give to someone, you know, as a dad and as a sports person around the whole time management side of things and, you know, and not sort of getting lazy? Because as parents, we can get lazy and put some things before others.
1: Well, I'll give an example. So, so Charlotte and Sienna and Zoe, Zoe at the moment is only three, so she's not really involved in other activities just yet. Sienna is, she's got, I think, today, for example, we're working together as a couple, always as mum and dad. Okay, well, you go to work, uh, she's working, I'm working. What are we going to do now with picking Sienna up from, let's just say, four thirty-five? You know, she's finishing netball. Like it's a, it's a, it's a commitment. It's pretty big, but not too bad. Charlotte, she has her activities. We generally try and time in just out of probably convenience for all of us. If you want to play sport, sometimes the options aren't as you know they're limited they're not as open as you like you know so you say no worries you can do these sports but you can only do them on the weekend now charlotte the 16 year old works on weekends you know probably most most weekends most days so she's so the limiting factor for her is always going to be well the time and what can she do so generally we, we try and tie it in as most parents look to do around their time you know is it Attached to school, that's always a bit easier because you're generally going from school to the sport and then you have can only have to well, – generally have to pick them up after that, which works in everyone's schedule. You know, everyone's busy. Everyone's getting busier. So it's just this fine balance. But when you've got, say, my cousin who lives 400 metres from my house, him and I are the same age, five months apart. His eldest is the same age as my eldest. In fact, they were both due on both our birthdays five months apart. So it, it's uh, freaky on that part. But he's a really good athlete. Like he's a, he's a state. athlete. He came second in the States on the weekend for triathlon for his age group. You know, very talented. His mum is a teacher. You know, she's very sporty. So is the dad, and my cousin. So they spend every day, the morning and afternoon, working around his schedule. And they've got three kids, a you know, boy and two girls. So the other two – probably will grow up with a little bit of neglect I would feel because, you know, so much is in the that particular person in their family who is the star of the show. The, the other ones have talent and they will. You know, they go to Acro and, you know, the middle daughter's always getting accused of being lazy and got the talent, got more talent than than Cooper, the eldest boy. So you, you're getting these dynamics all the time. But I suppose in the end, you know, a triathletes, you know, even at 16, you know, their demands are intense every day and their race on the weekend. So the commitment from both Nathan and Aaron is just outstanding. Now they run ragged and they complain all the time and they've never got any time. They go to sleep at, you know, 8 o'clock, 7.38 and get up, you know, 4.35. Like they're just crazy like that. But to them in some way, it works far better in the structure and far better for their family and also for Cooper to give them a chance to excel. And that's sometimes the investment in your family, sometimes not about just, well, oh, I can make more money or i like more rest or whatever because, you know, one day, not too far, he'll be an adult, he'll be driving and doing it himself. And, you know, that's the trade-off. You've always got to make that that trade-off. In the end, it's just an investment in what, you, what they want to do and what you want to do. And in the end, it works for them.
0: No, that's so true. And like I think it's like anything, any commitment. And as parents, it's all about being, being a parent's about
1: sacrifice. So uh, I think this is no different to that. See, we would say, it is is the difference with the team I played in. We would say that you don't sacrifice a thing. All you're doing is investing. You invest in us, you invest in the game, you invest in the club. We pay you well for it, don't get me wrong, but we are always investing in, in our kids and our time. Our time is the most valuable thing on in the universe. There's nothing more yep. valuable. Not not a dollar could will ever change that fact for anyone because you never get yep. more time. So in the end, that in time and investment, I would think is to, for a future date, have the choice to do whatever you want with your time. That is everyone's goal, whether it's retirement or just being able to be free to go and do what you do for work. So I think I think that's always the understanding I have as the human condition is: how do I create and do what I want with my time? And so that investment is always about that. Whether it's work, as you're doing for those kids, you know, if you could die as the richest man in the cemetery and leave all your kids, well, that's a fair, that's a fair journey, and it's a great, great thing to pass on. But if you've had no time and you just died unhappy, well, what's the point of that?
0: Yeah. And speaking of time, um, what are you doing with your time these days? There's, um, I've heard you've got
1: your finger in a few pies. Yeah, I, I, I do. I wear many hats. <laughs> but my main job, my day job is my real estate company, Chastank like Menace Properties, Blue Moon. Ascot and Blue Moon. Blue Moon are great. They're a, a franchises up the coast and they're a family company, so I love working for them. And with them, even though I, I run my own show and managing director, uh, I've been lucky enough to do a lot of things. I did the media for many years, as most people would know. I did foreign exchange for many years, which was awesome. I uh, ended up uh, with a couple of startups that we did out of our FX when I was in Albury, got a coaching degree in Albury. So I coached there for many years while we were doing the startups, which were AR, augmented reality. So that's basically dropping bags of money instead of chasing Pokemons and then getting them and going into any merchant on the planet and give discounts because, you know, we love discounts. But, of course, the merchants love us because we're, we're in their store and buying their coffers, et cetera. And then we tried to build uh, Bitcoin, which – you know, as a cryptocurrency is the first and and pretty much changed the world in some way certainly in that space so we wanted to use Bitcoin but it was rubbish it's too slow and inefficient and cost too much money so in the end we just we had to re-engineer one of our products our, our data protection products and made a split chain crypto which is which is going to be and it's, you know it will be the biggest coin going around and it's a worldwide Coin because it's the only one that's com- compliant and certified so it's pretty cool so we were doing that so you've got a few hats there you know by all means like anything you know you're trying to build or any any anything you ever buy you know you do your research and do your stuff but yeah that was that was a pretty cool adventure you wouldn't have thought or could produce uh so many amazing worldwide you know hits or or products so good but anyway you get the right people and we just had a great software engineer and his team and they did a great job so uh, I do play basketball. Div 1 Monday nights with an next bullets team. That's pretty cool because they're really good at what they do. So they're always ordering me around and I, I'm good at passing and get the odd shot in here and there. But, you know, they're all like six, 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 seven, You know, It's always pretty cool to play with them. And then I play uh, Div 4 with a couple of buddies who not as talented but they're very competitive. So we you know, usually play with my cousin who's a good basketball and then in the winter, just play a little bit of masters footy, and then occasionally, not that often, we do some one-on-one coaching. Obviously, with the coaching degree, and that's just more like every Aussie rules player has to be good at kicking, and that's generally what I teach because it's one thing to be a good kick; it's another thing to be a good coach of a good kick. So that'll give you a 11-year span into about two minutes thirty, I reckon. Wow, no, it's it's it's. I mean, honestly, you
0: you mentioned at the start staying active and. Always doing something, so I don't think that looks like it's going to be slowing down any soon.
1: No, no, I have a gym at home, so it's always good. I think I've learned I, 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 didn't mention in there. I did do a program out of the states for three years, which is you know, it's been amazing. I did. We did it selfishly for my, you know, Aussie Rules team I was coaching, but it turned out to be a lifestyle and and a genetic changes. So, our youngest daughter has benefited, no doubt. She's she's come out with she's much bigger, stronger, and and darker skin than the others so a bit of epigenetics there but yeah it was a cool program called the tribal blueprint those boys over there ex-pros ex like myself but they're in triathlon triathlons uh you know the olympic level and and a couple of doctors got together and went wait a minute why we build this way and it's it's crazy good so uh, anyway it should be pretty active until they uh, put me somewhere uh, when i'm all said and done but yeah so it's certainly the key to my brain i know that so i, I Reluctantly enjoy it now, you know, a couple of times a week. Yeah, nice, nice. And and one last
0: thing as well, uh, Jason. With all my episodes, I like to finish them off with a dad joke. Oh yes, here we Uh, go. So I don't know if you've got a few of your own, but um, how how do you interrogate a cheese toastie? Um, Don't know. You grill it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> oh, your kids will love you, I tell you. <laughs> oh, they do. Oh. This is actually from a dad book joke my son got me. He goes, a little book of dad jokes. Well, you know, it gets worse because now I would always <laughs> say things to my wife, you know, which, of course, they were never old enough to get. You know, they're, they're, they're more husband-wife. You know, you'd say, oh, you know, you might uh, intimate something. Well, now yeah. they, they know what I'm talking about. So, you know, it's always really awkward when they look over and they're like, I heard that. And of course, uh, they're just like they're laughing, but they're also going, "Can you, Dad? That, 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 you can't say those things." Of course, you know, we always yeah. we always get away with what we can. So it's always funny. Those dad jokes have turned into, "Oh my God, they get everything now." Oh no, yeah, <laughs> oh mate, it's it's it's
0: it's a never ending thing, and I think we enjoy it more than it's funny. We normally laugh at our jokes more than everyone else does. But
1: oh yeah, it's like part I, of it. I, I'm always saying, like the girls would say, you know, no one cares, and I'd always say, you know, well, care bags. Care Bears, care, <laughs> and they're like, "What are you talking about?" Because they got no idea about. It. Remember those the damn Care Bears ads? Yeah. Anyway, like just crap like that 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 my wife and I would laugh at because you know we're we're that age. It's like that movie. You know, you going to watch. There was one movie. Oh my god, it had it was like the the people that wrote it must have been my age or a year older or younger because everything that we ever watched, every joke was everything that we grew up watching as kids. Like these little subtle jokes. It was just, oh, it was brilliant. Uh, with, uh, yeah. the intern—I think it's called—or whatever it's called—when they went to Google, all those think, jokes, yeah. brilliant. So, but you know, the kids were like, "What? What are you laughing at?" Yeah.
0: No, thank you so much again for your time, Jason. It's—it's it's meant a lot, mate. And um, you know, I'm sure any parent listening to this has learned a lot for themselves, but also, you know, to hopefully it's empowered them to put their kids through sports and to keep persisting.
1: Well, parenting, uh, there's no book for that. And it's like you learn as you go. It's one of those great things. So if you're, you're doing a crap job, it's all right. You can get better. And if you're doing a great job, well, keep doing it.
0: That's it. Well said. Thank no you. All right, Anytime. Thanks for joining us on sharing more than the sheets. Please make sure you subscribe to be updated with future episode releases. And feel free to share this episode with any friends or family that you think it might benefit. Please visit us at sharingmorethanthesheets.com.au to submit questions or requests for future podcast topics. These podcasts have been brought to you by Better Financial Planning Australia. To book a 15-minute phone chat, visit betterfinancialplanning.com.au.